This is Talmadge Heflin, the director of the Center for Fiscal Policy at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. You're listening to the Texas Tribune's weekly podcast. From Driftwood, Texas, where Salt Lake Barbecue is king, here is your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton from Austin with the Tribcast for the first week of November. Joining me is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Are you a Driftwood hater? Is that the deal? No, I love Driftwood. I'm just not there. Sadly, I would much rather be there at the Salt Lake than here with you. Great. Glad to be here, too. <laughs> or with editor Emily Ramshaw. I'm being patched in from the Bahamas right now. <laughs> I decided to skip election night. We can all dream. Speaking of dreams, Ben Philpott, <laughs> host of Agenda Texas for KUT and the Texas Tribune, is also joining us. I think we should say high above Austin, considering the floor that we're on here. Oh, you're No, high? the floor. No, the <laughs> yeah, floor. Jeez. Co- co- been to the Colorado <laughs> Clinic or something? <laughs> No, we're on the, we're on the 14th floor of this building. It's He was oh, already mind. telling us he was high on all the water that he drank last night to celebrate Prop 6. Yes, after and, Prop 6. And I, the four-hour shower. I drank three morning. liters of water and let my sinks run all night long. <laughs> what a nice segue right into our first topic. Why waste, why waste time with banter or anything? Why waste time in an election? These things just flew through. Everything was like, okay, okay, whatever. Yeah, fine. So we're no, recording Ross this? was calling our elections by like, you know, yeah, 8.15. Exactly. Before the, you know, somebody said, you know, the pizza didn't even get cold yet. We're, we're recording this on Wednesday, which is just hours after Election Day. And we didn't eat pizza on Election Night. Yeah, it was... We're way too refined for that. And you so... didn't eat pizza? No, no that's Losers. only KUT eats pizza We on had five night. pizzas. Everyone does. Well, we had Korean food. So did, was there any, did any news come out of the uh, – And of you the wonder why people out? don't like any the mainstream surprises? media. <laughs> people, people really Sorry. went for that airplane parts proposition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, the voters liked everything on the ballot. They didn't – you know, a lot of times voters will skip over things that give people exemptions from taxes. You know, there were a couple of things that gave exemptions to veterans and veterans' widows and veterans' surviving spouses and – you would expect those things to pass. Those are sympathetic. But the thing, you know, inventory for aircraft parts, that's the kind of thing voters often wrinkle their noses at. They said fine to that. They, they did turn down things that spent money in locations around Texas. So Katy is not getting its $69 million high school football stadium. And the Astrodome. to the Astrodome. Right, the yeah. Astrodome. Think of, um, all the, uh, think of all the airplane parts you could store in that football stadium. Think of all the Astrodome. You know, I guess you could. I guess you could play the Katy football team in the Astrodome. I guess oh my gosh, out, genius! Right? Yeah, um, they should just do a, a trade. So, so the bond issue for the Astrodome turning it into a convention center, two hundred and seventeen million dollars, didn't pass. And now um, Miley Cyrus is going to come in on her wrecking ball and tear the whole thing down. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Anise Parker Pop got a reference. Third term without a runoff. Yeah. <laughs> all of our listeners are Great. far too old to know what that is. Ben is Ben is like a human hashtag over here. <laughs> He's got teenage daughters. I have. I almost have. Yeah. Hi hashtag. I like this. Uh, They're not allowed to watch there, Miley but there or listen really to Miley Cyrus. <laughs> uh, is, is this because the leaders of the state, like Perry and Strauss, and were just so good at selling Prop Six, or was it really ever in danger? I, you know, I think that you know that's the kind of issue that can get knocked off of a ballot pretty easily if the people who were against it, you know, led vocally by people like Deborah Medina, had been organized about it and had really gone after it in a methodical way. 
That's the kind of an amendment you can knock off. This is, would take $2 billion out of the rainy day fund, which has somehow become a sacred account, and uh, put it into a revolving fund that would allow people to borrow and take out credit for projects on water. And one of their questions was, well, who's going to be doing these projects and who's going to get rich on this, yada, yada, yada. That's the kind of thing you can build a negative campaign out of. I just I really think there was never a chance that this was going to go down. I mean, for the last three years, all we've been seeing in Texas is imagery of, you know, lakes with cracked mud bottoms. And I mean, I just feel like everything that we've been hearing and seeing is what dire straits we're in. I, I guess I, I feel like that I, permeated. Well, I agree. But at the same time, this the last few elections have shown us that if somebody has an ideological argument, it it can trump uh it can trump maybe what you know the 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 other side is wh- even maybe the more factual side of the argument um and you know having different tea partiers kind of show up and say you, you shouldn't vote for this i mean that's that's worked in kicking out incumbents all across mm-hmm. the state of course there you're actually able to also campaign against a person as opposed to just you know the need for water in the state well speaking of a, a person there was this you know an- anxiety that houston might play an outsized influence in deciding that and that you know because he, because they have a mayor's race they had a mayor's race you know maybe all these folks would turn out for the mayor's race people who have a lot of water in houston which is very lush you know and that this would die but i think as a result maybe of that you know enhanced turnout this had a better shot than it did, especially with all those people turning out to vote for an East Something partner. like 12% of the yes votes came from Harris County, something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it turned out that voters this time, instead of being price sensitive as they have on other elections, on some of the Tea Party stuff, on bond issues and things like that, instead of being price sensitive, they were, in this case, product sensitive. They were worried, like mm-hmm. you say, about water and, you know. They were worried about crowd. water, but maybe not so much worried about a new football stadium. I was kind of surprised that the Hidalgo uh, Hospital District kind of sailed through. I mean, again, that's a very localized thing, but the entire state gets to vote on a tax increase, essentially. Well, and there was a huge drop-off in votes. It was interesting. You know, just nine amendments on the thing. It's not like you're going to be in the booth very long. And um, hundred and last time I looked, 115,000 or 120,000 fewer people voted on the Hidalgo County bond thing than on the hmm. – yeah, it seems to me like once you start checking the yes boxes, you might as well just go the whole way through the list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, where, short ballot, get... you could actually hold your breath yeah, the whole like, time. Uh, what? Uh, which? Who gets to number seven and decides? I'm really tired of voting. Like, let's I usually, just press I'm, go. I'm exhausted, man. Yeah. I usually take a nap after the sixth proposition <laughs> and then right. get back on it. Uh, do you, I mean? Isn't there a lingering concern, getting back to Prop 6 for a second, that it's sort of a Band-Aid on a much larger problem and that we could come around and need to solve water in a more comprehensive way and people will say, oh, didn't we already do that? Yeah. I mean, there's that and it's also the first in a series of Band-Aids. You know, the TxDOT has this great statistic that it costs $4 billion additional money to maintain the current level of congestion on highways. We haven't messed with that yet. There's a billion-dollar bond election or a billion dollars in funding for highways on the ballot for a year from now, and that legislature will come back in and talk about four billion to five billion dollars to you know keep the current level of congestion. So that's one. The water stuff that you mentioned, uh, if you include public ed and things like that, and in, in infrastructure things, we've got those are in court. There are a lot of big ticket items coming up for the next legislature. Look, and if you're going to be rah rah about all the jobs that you're you know quote unquote luring to Texas, all the people who are coming here, all the population growth. I mean, how these guys, these legislators really have to be out fighting for these kinds of propositions. Right. Well, and then if Jay were here, he'd get into a whole thing about is population growth really something we want? 
luckily Jay's not here. Yeah, so we can just move on. <laughs> speaking of an, uh, and I think he's done procreating too. So, <laughs> think. well, we won't get into that at all. <laughs> uh, speaking of turnout, though. Uh, weren't we supposed to see a lot of problems with the implementation of the voter ID law and that, you know, that's been sort of uh, cast by some as a voter suppression effort? It didn't seem to suppress too many votes, except for maybe on the, once you got further down the ballot and people started tail, tailing off. Right. You know, part of the answer to this is we don't completely know yet. It doesn't appear to have done that much. You know, I mean, there were glitches and, you know, it's a new procedure and there's always glitches with a new procedure regardless of how it works. You know, nobody's had time to do any kind of analysis on um, what it did in this election. And, you know, this – to be fair, this isn't the kind of election where people are, you know, clamoring to get in. Um, you're going to have to go through a primary and a general election to see what the real effects of this are. We don't, we don't know yet. I mean, it, it, that, that means both sides are open. That's not really taking a side in this thing. It's just you haven't really had a – you've had sort of a procedural test – to see how this works and to see how, you know, what they do when you don't have the right name on your driver's license or whatever. But you haven't seen really a good analysis of whether this is actually keeping some population from voting or not. And both well, sides I- are going to use uh, both sides are going to use whatever statistics do come out of this for, you know, future court cases. Mm-hmm. You know, Republicans or the state rather will say, uh, look, it, it was not a big deal. Everybody got through. Yeah, some people had to do a little affidavit. That was easy enough. Blah, blah, we're done. And and Democrats will, will come back with their own statistics, probably maybe a little more localized and not as general of, of where they saw problems. Is the Can I ask just a question about the affidavits? Is Does the affidavit constitute a problem? I mean, I think there's been some, you know, the language has been used around here. People have been saying, well, there may not have been problems per se, but these affidavits were problematic. I mean, are were, do the affidavits hinder you from being able to vote in any way? I mean, it's just... They appear to slow things down a little bit. I mean, a lot of what what was noisy this time, you know, and I really don't even want to characterize it beyond that. Well, a lot of what sort of caused any consternation this time was just a little bit of a hassle about, you know, well, my driver's license has my middle name on it and my voter registration card doesn't. So sign this thing and say you're the same person and then we'll let you vote. It's not even a provisional vote. It counts. Right. It's just it just takes a second. Yeah. You know, if you're and, if you're looking to go into a voting place and argue with people, there's your material, but Right, there was some guy in Fort Worth who ripped up his registration card in protest. Right. Yeah, which is, you know, which anger, is really, anger management class yeah. for voters, right? That's really yeah. not going to help you vote if that's really your ultimate goal. Yeah. Right, but but I think I was sort of uh, speaking to that and speaking to Ben's point about statistics. I don't really think statistics have ever played much of a role in the debate on voter ID. You know, no no one really had to prove that voter fraud was a problem in order to get the law passed. Well, that's true. And and now the opponents of voter ID don't seem to they are relying more on anecdote and sort of specific individuals having trouble rather than obviously. I think most people probably didn't have much of a problem, but you know, Jim Wright not being able to vote got a lot of attention. Right. Not being able to vote or having well, to sign an affidavit. No, he had to go. No, what, he didn't even get to the voting booth with this thing. He went to the DPS to get a registration card, and they didn't. He didn't have the right information. He had to go back and get it with his birth certificate or something. Mm. Um, he got it. He did vote. You know, but it was just a hassle. the The, the real question on this, the broad sense question, is going to be Jim Wright. We should say as the former Speaker of the United States House, uh, former um, representative, U.S. representative from Fort Worth. Um, and if you've ever flown Southwest out of Dallas Love Field, that's right. The right, the rule. right amendment is named for him, yes. You know, the real question on this is whether it, you know, hinders some population that has been voting from voting, keeps people from voting. We don't know that yet. The, you know, uh, this is 
very local for those of you who are in Central Texas, but we had some flooding uh, just last week in a in breaking one, news here on well, the podcast. But in one part of in one part of uh, Travis County, and uh, I was talking to the local the county clerk here about the idea of well, you know, some of these people they literally woke up at three a.m. and evacuated their home with you know in their pajamas uh, and have not been able. They don't know where their driver's license is. They don't know where anything is. So how can they vote? And uh, the county clerk said, well, there actually was no provision put in the voter ID law for some instance like this of, of a natural disaster wiping out your ability to actually go and get any kind of ID to be able to go and vote. So that may be something that not I don't know if in terms of a court case, but that may be something that they would revisit um, well, they could probably uh, in the next cast session. A provisional ballot. Mm-hmm. They could. Uh, and DPS did finally, uh, I think, came came out uh Wednesday today, well, the day we're recording this, uh, to uh, to start issuing new driver's license. So, but again, these are people who the most important thing to them is is you know tearing up their homes and trying to rebuild and find all their personal stuff and not spending an extra few hours down you know correcting a provisional ballot and making sure they always have presentable pajamas ready. To go right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of local issues, uh, just for a second, how sad should we be about the demise of the Astrodome? Well, you know, the eighth wonder of the world. Just you know. <laughs> Didn't get used. I, I saw in one of the stories that it hasn't been used for anything anything since 2009, which is really yeah. sort of surprising. Mm-hmm. Didn't they blow up the Dallas Cowboys stadium too? They did, but it wasn't domed. Uh, I mean, well, I think, and it also it also was <laughs> it had that hole in it. <laughs> no, but it, it also it also wasn't exactly near anything. I mean, I think one whoa, whoa, one thought whoa. is no, no, no. The, the Cowboys Stadium? Not well, but was what totally I, near things. But, but they, what I mean is, it wasn't near. It also, right? In Arlington, it, Ben's Ben's worried about Reliance Stadium. No, <laughs> it was. You know, I, I think you could you could make an argument that they were trying to turn that section around Reliance Stadium and everything into really you know super gigantic mega convention area. And you know, out in Irving, I mean, you're going to make that a convention center out in the middle of the yeah, two interstates grape, i mean it, grapevine i mean there's tons of stuff out there i don't know i just wonder why this is you know why is this the eighth wonder of the world versus because that's the what first, they called it <laughs> because it was yeah. domed multi-use thing they invented it, fake grass for it yeah. astroturf years ahead of all the other ones just like remember one. how vcrs were so great <laughs> it's like that you don't I thought Betamax was <laughs> right. uh, the ninth wonder of the world. I've heard all about them. I read about them in books. That's right. Books have stayed around, though. That's Do good. you feel sad about the Astrodome? I did have a birthday party at the Astrodome uh, in 2009. That was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last no, event. The, After that, they said, forget it. We're so done. <laughs> sometime in the early 90s when it was still quite wonderful. Uh, but I don't really feel that upset about it. But I understand other people do. I, yeah. I, you know, there was no... Other than uh, a, like a couple of Nolan Ryan no hitters, I don't know that there was any amazing baseball uh, uh, events that happened there. There were some great baseball events there. The Astros and the Mets series. That was, there was a bunch of great stuff going on there. I mean, there was a, there was a bunch of baseball. There were a bunch of concerts. There were a bunch of rodeos. It's yeah. been sort of a center of civic life in Houston for Wait, a long, was it, long time. And was it, it the know, Billie Jean King uh, battle of the sexes tennis match there? Nobody knows. I think well, it was. Wikipedia knows the answer. Ross said a lot of great rodeos happened. <laughs> right. uh, you know, I, it, this is a this is a good. They had a sale last weekend, I believe. For uh, they sold off about uh, five hundred pair of chairs, bleacher seats, um, and they sold them for two hundred bucks for the pair. So you know, hundred bucks a seat. But is that um, how that math works? Thank you. And uh, <laughs> this is uh, why all the kids should have to take algebra two. That's right. Um, uh, and you know now they're now they're going to have a whole lot more seats that they can sell off because they're going to empty that thing out to blow it up. So 
They sold out really. They had like a line. It was like people were lining up for Franklin's barbecue. So it's not like they could come back to voters next time around and say, okay, this time we want to try this. <laughs> well, with it. I mean, in Austin, that happens. Yeah. You know, that happens often in Austin. <laughs> well, I mean, now we want to make a parking lot. Yeah, right. I'm sure they're going to look at it and say, okay, here's the price of tearing it down. Does anybody have a better offer and go from there? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they, you know, what they were talking about doing because the Reliant Stadium is right next to it and can be converted pretty easily into convention space, you know, if the dates are right, was putting two or three or four hotels inside the Astrodome along with some convention space. There's another facility next to those two stadiums that can also be used. And you could turn it into a big convention center. So there is a profit motive here. And if they can figure out how to make the money work, you know. They haven't torn it down yet. But there are a number of of these seven wonders of the world. They don't all still exist. You know, things – some wonders leave us. <laughs> oh, are you saying the podcast Reef. is over? <laughs> Reef's, Reef's still mad that they couldn't pass that bond issue on the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, let's move on, shall we? Uh, this is, we're rolling out the University of Texas, Texas Tribune poll this week. Uh, I think probably the most headline-grabbing thing we've seen so far was the Wendy Davis-Greg Abbott matchup for governor, potentially. Yeah, uh, so so the poll found Greg Abbott at 40 and Wendy Davis at 35 and Kathy Glass, a libertarian, at 5. And, the you know, it's not a prediction of how the thing's going to go. It's just sort of an indication of where things are now. And because they haven't really advertised yet and they haven't really campaigned in earnest yet, what you're looking at really is a lot of name ID. You know, uh, statewide officials, if they're not the governor, really aren't that well known. And we've forgotten because, you know, Rick Perry's been governor for so long that the number of people in Texas who don't know who he is is minuscule. For everybody else, you know, for the David Dewhursts and the Greg Abbotts and the, you know, all the other statewides, a lot of people don't know who they are. And that's reflected to some extent in Greg Abbott's numbers. Um, Wendy Davis has been, if nothing else, sort of a media star since her filibuster this summer. She's been in the news a lot. And her name ID has jumped dramatically from our June poll to now. So which is all those Texans reading Vogue. <laughs> exactly. So so what you're seeing really here is is a reflection of name ID. The numbers in the governor's race don't match the numbers of people who identify themselves as Republicans and Democrats. And what tends to happen, all other things being equal, what tends to happen is as a campaign goes on, the numbers will start to look more and more like these are Republicans, these are Democrats, these are Abbots, these are Davises. And then the campaigns, I guess we're going to look at, you know, somewhere between 40 and $65 million in the governor's race on both sides. And that's going to determine a lot about what it looks like in a year. Is that 35% though? Is that, isn't that very close to the baseline of Democrats? It is, but it's not, uh, you know, the Democratic statewide candidates have pulled between 37 and 43% for the most part, a couple of outliers either mm-hmm. way you know, for the last 20 years, you can outperform that a little bit. You can underperform it a little bit. It'll fall somewhere in there. Republicans have done better. So if you were looking at, you know, a final ballot, a Democrat typically lands in the low 40s and a Republican typically lands in the mid to high 50s. So Abbott, by that standard, is underperforming, and you would expect those numbers to change as the year goes on. Who? So these it's left 25 percent who did not had not made their minds up. Right. Right. So who are these undecided vote? Even a year out, even, you know, this far out, who are these people who don't have their minds made up? I think there are people who haven't thought about making up their minds. I don't mm-hmm. think that it's that they can't make up their minds or that they're indecisive. I think it's that, you know, I really haven't thought about that. Um, I haven't really looked at these two. I don't really know them that well. 
I haven't really considered that decision. It's like asking somebody what they'll order for dinner tomorrow night. I haven't really thought about it. I'm not hungry. I also don't. I think there does get to be a point. You know, we always have that as you get closer and closer to election day where people are still undecided and you're like, this is ridiculous. You know, everything has been vetted and out there. But at this point, I mean, we see, we're pretty far out. I mean, I don't know what Wendy Davis's positions are on a number of things. Probably same with Greg Abbott. He's mostly just been suing the Obama administration for the last few years. Right. It's just such a polarized state that I have a really hard time believing that anybody doesn't know at this point whether they're going to vote Democratic or Republican. I think if you ask them the generic question, are you going to vote Democratic or Republican, then you'll get the numbers that you expect. And in fact, when we ask people to identify themselves, those are the numbers we got. Right. And so what you're asking here, like I said, is a little bit of um, do you know who these people are? What are your feelings about them? We did not push. You know, when you get close to an election, you take the people who say, I haven't decided, and you say, well, if you had to decide, what would you do? And, and because we're a year out, we didn't push this time. Do you think the Kathy Glass effect right now is about spot on, or do you think it will grow or shrink? You know, libertarian candidates usually get 3 to 5%. Mm-hmm. That's usually the, you know, none of the above vote. Right. Right. Uh, and, but what do, you, what do we attribute to, like, uh, you know, every now and then you get one that, an independent candidate, I guess, that sort of really shakes things up, like a Deborah Medina or like a Kinky Friedman in 2006 could have done if things hadn't sort of gone off the rails a little bit. Uh, does a libertarian not have that same potential? Not necessarily. I mean, they, you know, a lot of what happens here is a libertarian, because they don't tend to be known names, are where you kind of go when you want to park your vote. You know, I can't vote for the Democrat and I can't vote for the Republican for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. What's happened with the independent candidates that you're talking about, the Kinky Friedmans and the Deborah Medinas, is that they were well-known and sort of involved in the campaign as voices. And they did, they weren't just a parking place for a no vote. They attracted votes of their own. Um, the libertarian vote tends to be, you know, people who vote libertarian and people who say, well, I'm not going to vote for either of those major party candidates. So what else have we seen in the polls so far that sort of piqued your interest? Yeah, what, tell us about Cruz and Perry. Yeah, Ted Cruz did great. Um, Ted Cruz's, you know, numbers look great. Apps these are presidential. A, these this, are, well, yeah. you know, in the... in the I was going to say he's a Republican senator from Texas, for those who don't know. <clears throat> if you've got the name ID problem, right. <laughs> right. Um, if you listen to this podcast, you probably don't have that problem. So the last time we pulled the presidential problems. race, yeah. Cruz was in first and Perry was in fourth. Perry had 10 percent in that poll. Cruz had 25 percent. Marco Rubio and Rand Paul were between them. This time, Cruz is up to 40. Rubio and Paul have fallen out. Perry's still at 10. He's number two. And our poll went into the field the day after the federal shutdown ended. So quite this, good timing. Yeah. So it ends up being pretty good timing. And you can look at this and say, well, you know, what did Ted Cruz do to himself with that long talk and with no his backlash role, with his role in all of this? He had some backlash and oh, it was did. all on the Democratic side. Uh, <laughs> what? I love oh, all you. Yeah. yeah. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Say something else. Let me let me swat. <laughs> My fly swatter is right here. Um, it was all Democrats. So if you look at his numbers, Democrats really, really don't like him. Republicans um, like him pretty well, 52, 53, 54 percent, something like that. And the Tea Party voters love him, 92 percent to 2 percent. So do, do we his name like ID went more? up a little bit, mostly with Democrats, and that's where the negatives came from. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't courting those people. Yeah. Was, do we know do, – do the Republicans like him more post-shutdown uh, than they did before? Do we know that? I don't know the answer to that. OK. Uh, it's interesting that Perry – that the other Republicans might have 
dropped out of the presidential race, but Perry would have stayed in. Is that just a virtue of because it's a Texas poll? But if you think about what kind of candidates they are, you know, is Ted Cruz, if I leave Rand Paul or I leave Marco Rubio, am I likely to, where am I likely to land? Mm -hmm. And in this poll, they landed with Ted Cruz. Where you was know, Chris Christie in this he's, poll? He's back right behind Perry somewhere. Uh, Christie and Jeb Bush were right behind Perry. So you, what you see is the whatever you want to call these guys, the insurgent Republicans, the you know anti-establishment Republican votes are migrating or appear to be migrating in Texas in this poll from Paul and Rubio to Cruz. And we, I mean, it is important, though, that it is, I mean, is it's Texas. in Texas. Right. right, right. It is in Texas. So are they migrating or are they, is this just a logical? Well, the people who said in June that they were with those guys, you know, appear now to be with Cruz. Well, he, he's he's become the star. I mean, he was he's already the Texas senator, but he's potential right. candidate now, right? Right. Than he was he he's taken it. He took up all the spotlight in in the time immediately before mm -hmm. the the poll. So right. it would make sense that if you're if you're thinking Tea Party insurgent, that's the first name that's going to pop into your head, especially in Texas. But the bottom line here is that you know the things that Ted Cruz did nationally that got him attention for better or for worse, at least in terms of his own voters here in Texas, were for better. Yep. Did we right. poll people's feelings on Canada? We did not. So we don't know what role that plays. We have no idea. Um, any but other final? Th thanks for asking, though. <laughs> <laughs> you can re recommend that for the next poll. I will, I will, I will sneak that in there. Any words from Ben? <laughs> I was just going to say, is it surprising at all that Dewhurst was still leading? Um, again, this is just the name ID race, I guess, but that Dewhurst was still leading, leading in the lieutenant governor's race? Well, he's got 26%, and the combined votes for Patterson and Patrick and Staples were 28%. So not Dewhurst is beating Dewhurst by about two points. So David Dewhurst's game here has got to be to get out of a March runoff. primary without a runoff. Right. Because um, if he goes into a runoff, then, then he's got yeah. a challenge. Well, we, we saw what happened that, that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Among the others, you know, in this race, um, Patrick's leading, but it's not – it's pretty tight. Patrick at 13, Patterson at 10. Staples back at five. The margin of error on that's about five points. So you Patrick know, better spend a little more time on John Corona's airplane. Right. <laughs> Do you want to explain the context of that comment? Oh, just that John Corona has said – Senator John Corona, Republican of Dallas, has said that he is not going to weigh in – I know I did a good job with that one. He's not going to weigh in on who ought to win the uh, lieutenant governor's race, but he is – he and his wife are going to loan Dan Patrick their plane uh, to go around the state campaigning because they believe that ideologically they are most aligned with Dan Patrick. One, one of the backdrops for this is that Donald Huffines has announced a challenge to John Corona, Corona from the right. And, um, and Corona's kind of backing the most right, or at least the candidate that sees himself as the most right in this race. Well, and Patrick was going to do a fundraiser at Huffines' house, from what I understand. And after, that, after the Corona thing popped up, after Huffines declared, Patrick backed out. So... Corona's got his own politics here, too. Well, and, I mean, it's interesting because one of the major issues that Corona and Patrick have not been aligned on in the past is whether or not they like Dan Patrick. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. I and mean, they famously hate each other and have had for sort of a fa famous, very ugly personal spats in public. Right. Which seem to have be water under the bridge at this point, apparently. Right. Just more proof that this is really high school with money. Yeah. Here's how, <laughs> here's how I apologize. Borrow my plane. <laughs> Uh, any final poll thoughts before we do one last topic? You know, people are still concerned in Texas about the border and immigration. It's really, really persistent. They still are worried about, you know, the national economy. And there's still, you know, this thing that Perry tapped years ago and is still living on, this antipathy toward Washington, is still really, really strong in Texas. So that seems that's something that is definitely uh, caught on elsewhere, I think. 
Timothy well, Perry, Washington. Perry, Perry, if he's running for president again, helps it helps it stays caught on. I think. As goes Texas, right? As goes the rest of the country. Well, uh, I mean, that gets to our next topic, sort of. You know, one of the big things about Texas policy right now is sort of uh, where we're going on abortion, right? Where we're sort of making it much harder to get abortions. Do you think the rest of the country will follow that? Uh, I think a lot of this is going to depend on what the Supreme Court decides to do. Um, obviously, what's happened in Texas is that originally a uh, federal court in Austin uh, overturned or held unconstitutional a provision in House Bill 2, which is the legislation in Texas that required doctors at abortion clinics in Texas to have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles. That was a provision that was going to severely um, restrict the doctors who were the abortion clinics that were able to practice to operate in Texas. So original uh, a federal district court overturned it. Uh, that same measure went to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in Louisiana, which is a more conservative court, and uh, they basically overruled the, the federal district court. And so now this whole debacle moves on to uh, the Supreme Court to make some kind of decision uh, on what's going to happen next. But, you know, you've seen these kinds of legislation, these kinds of bills have been moving in other states. They've been up- upheld in some states. They've been overturned in some states. So really, the jury, I think, is out on on these types of abortion restrictions nationally. Yeah, yeah. especially, the, I mean, we've had Mississippi and several other states that have had that, the hospital admitting privileges, which was the key factor. In- well, and there have been court cases around other elements of this legislation that aren't even, you know, in the courts in Texas yet, which is the fetal pain provision of this legislation uh, around the use of uh, abortion, um, drug-induced abortions. You know, so I think that we now have one major element moving through the court system, but hang on, because I bet in the next year... We're well, the a- ACA, ACA hasn't been tried yet. Now, the drug- the drug-induced abortions was, and there was one provision uh, that was uh, declared unconstitutional. If the health of the woman was in jeopardy, uh, in jeopardy then you could not enforce the, what, 10-year, 15-year-old FDA guidelines, which doctors say are no longer, uh, and we heard testimony during the session, doctors say that that is no longer best practices, but the law requires them to go back mm-hmm. to it anyway. Um, but yeah, the ACA, which the that's uh, taking your clinic and uh, upgrading it, upgrading the facilities to have it be like an ambulatory surgical center, which includes all the things that you know if you were going in for knee surgery or any kind of you know outpatient day surgery. Um, that one, the requirement doesn't go into effect until September September of two thousand fourteen. So they haven't put that one through the courts yet, but that'll be another one that. That will severely limit, you know, the number of abortion clinics that can even operate in Texas. So this fight continues. Yes. But in the meantime, for a very long time, at least nine abortion clinics have shut down. Is that right? Nine abortion clinics have stopped. Nine clinics, women's health clinics, have stopped performing abortions as a result of this. But they haven't closed any clinics yet. Uh, You know, I think closure is. It depends on the services that were provided there. In some cases, if they were already providing, you know, breast exams, if they were already providing other, you know, cervical cancer screenings, they may still be in operation. But you know, what Republican state lawmakers hope is that these um, clinics are getting so much of their revenue from performing abortions that they won't be able to stay in business if they can't perform. Yeah, some of them are saying right now we we're staying open for the moment for those. Mm -hmm. Other patients, but they don't know what their future is. Right. They wouldn't be happy for them to stay open, but just not perform abortions. Uh, I think not if it's Planned Parenthood. If they're affiliated with Planned Parenthood, uh, <laughs> yeah. and if they operate any other clinics in Texas or elsewhere under the same sort of financial umbrella that do perform abortions, they would prefer that those clinics not exist. Well, one thing that certainly does have to close is our time here today. So we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. Did we'd he like just to- make an abortion analogy f- to end the podcast? 
No. I no, think so. if I think if he did, we'll get some emails. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I can't believe you would accuse me of such a thing. Uh, yeah, FDA you, guidelines say we have to have, end this at about 30 minutes. Right. <laughs> if you have questions or comments about Emily, send them to Tribcast they better at be TexasTribune.org. Nice. No, I was just saying, you know, things like like the eighth wonder of the world, even the He's trying to has to close. Dig his way out of the hole right before we wrap up. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to dig you out. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say thanks to Ben Ross and our producer Todd. This is Reeve. And thank you to Emily too. I was gonna say, I don't even get thanks. <laughs> Jeez, the tides have turned. Goodbye, everyone. Downton Abbey has gone straight to hell.